Well, the, the week a long time ago started out like any other, but it was going to end like none other. It was Sunday morning and Jesus had just been to Jericho and he and his disciples had made the 13 mile journey from Jericho in the east to this little town called Bethany about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And although the time in this, this time in the spring there, the, the weather was probably in the mid-70s, it was a nice day, the journey that they had to walk was up a mountain, down a mountain, up a mountain, down a mountain, over and over and over in this journey from Jericho to Bethany. Jesus and his disciples would have passed by their good friend's house, the house of Lazarus, and Mary and Martha, and maybe they even stopped by there early to let them know that they were going to be back later to share a meal with them. By the time uh, to sit and rest is now going to have to be delayed, there's other things that needed to be done. These tired travelers climbed up almost a mile up into the mountains to reach this spot. And as Jesus finally crested over that point in that day's journey, he and his followers ascended right over the top of the Mount of Olives. And they were greeted with this crowd and this roar of people. The news had come to all the people that the Messiah was coming into town. And it had reached all the surrounding villages. And people all stopped what they were doing and they came to town just to see this glimpse of this man. This man who had all of their hopes and their dreams. For this man was finally going to be the guy to get rid of the Roman rulers and to free us. The savior of the Jewish people was coming. And there he is. The Messiah is on his way to rescue us. Some of the people were so eager to see the king that they laid their coats down on the road. So even the cult of Jesus would walk in comfort. In anticipation, the moment could be heard as the cheers grew louder and louder and louder. Hosanna to the son of David, they said. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. There were naysayers there that day, though. And they were grumbling and they were wanting the crowd to be quiet. But Jesus quickly rebuked them and he said, not today. Oh, not today. They have an overwhelming need to praise. And if they were silent, well, then even the rocks would have to cry out. And, but the excitement didn't last long. As Jesus was past the crowds, he paused and he looked down upon Jerusalem and a tear welled up in his eye and I imagine it finally broke through his dusty cheek. Those closest to him heard him talk. He wasn't speaking to anybody in particular, but they heard him say, how I wish today that all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. This is the week. This is how the week would have started for Jesus. It was his last week. Because this week is going to end with Jesus being hung on a Roman cross. It's going to end with Jesus being crucified for crimes of which he was innocent. This week would end with the betrayal of one of his closest followers for just a few pieces of silver. But that was just the start 
to the end. He was arrested by the temple soldiers. He was interrogated by the high priest, Annas. He, tried, he was tried with falsified evidence by the Jewish ruling council. He was denied by his most vocal supporter, Peter. He was beaten by the temple guards. He was questioned by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. He was questioned by the ruler of Galilee, King Herod. He was questioned a second time by Pilate. He was whipped within an inch of his life by those Roman soldiers. He was condemned to death by Pilate at the assistance of the locals. He was mocked by the Roman soldiers and a crown of thorns was forced onto his brow. He was forced to carry his own cross to the place of his eventual execution. He was stripped naked. Spikes of iron were then hammered into his flesh. The cross was lifted up into the air for Jesus to hang there from nail-pierced hands and feet until the end. Not much was said by Jesus that week. He was silent a whole lot of the time. He didn't have much to say to the high priest or to Pilate. He didn't protest. He never fought back. His words were few, but they echo to us some 2,000 years later. His first words on the cross were uh, words that I doubt that any of us probably would have said, where he looked down upon the Jewish leaders whose schemes had placed him on that cross, where he looked down upon the very soldiers who drove those nails through his wrists and perhaps looking into space at no one in particular, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. From the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. I'm not sure if that would have been me that I would have had it in me that day to say such a statement, to make such a a plea, to think that you could look into the eyes of those that were responsible for your suffering and your murder, to look at them and issue forgiveness. It's unbelievable to me. Jesus wasn't denying that all those there in front of him had responsibility. He wasn't taking away uh, that guilt, what he did for what they did or for what they did in his murder. He was reminding the Father. He was reminding us that it, they didn't fully understand the magnitude of what they were doing that day. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing was the very first of seven different phrases that Jesus is going to speak to us from his cross. And those seven phrases, although there are only a few, maybe even a couple words each, contain volumes of theology. And they echo throughout time to teach us about himself, to teach us about his humanity, but also to teach us about his Godship. And they teach us about his mind and heart and his purpose and why he was sent here to earth. And these words still preach to us today so that we in this season of Lent, in the time that we get to prepare for Easter, can prepare our hearts so that this holiday that's coming up isn't about chocolate and candied eggs or a bunny. 
And we're going to take this time and this season of Lent to listen to our Messiah, listen to the one who came to earth to teach us how to live, but ultimately came to pave our way back to the Father. And so we're going to take seven weeks to give a week to each phrase spoken by our king from his cross. Today, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Next, today you will be with me in paradise. Behold your son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. And lastly, on Easter Sunday, into your hands, I commit my spirit. See, as Jesus hung on that cross, the the Jews that day thought that they were getting rid of a blasphemer. They were getting rid of a man who said that he had the power to forgive sins. They thought they were getting rid of a guy who said he was God himself. The Romans there that day thought that they were getting rid of a troublemaker. They were getting rid of of a criminal. And Jesus looks at them at them all and says, you have no idea what you're doing. See, none of those there that day had the slightest clue that they were committing the most heinous crime that has ever been committed by fixing the author of faith onto a Roman instrument of death. See, Jesus had lived this way. He, he had lived the way that uh, he was talking about. He had practiced what he had preached. He had said before, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Many have heard him say those words often during his ministry. And it's exactly what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus forgives. Forgiveness and Thus, our salvation is, it's a simple concept, but it's a complicated, it's a complex concept as well. I, I, I remember when I used to have the mentality that the sins that I would, the sins that I committed would just be overlooked by a kind and, and gracious God. For years, before I understood the concept of the cross, I thought that if I was just good enough, it would cancel out all of the bad things that I've done in my life. Basically, I, I thought that I was more good than bad, and thus I had nothing to worry about. I already had my ticket into heaven because God loves me. For others, though, the concept of their salvation is darker. There's people that think that they have done so much bad that there is no hope for a good and holy God to forgive them. So why bother in the first place? See, there would be no need for a cross or a sacrifice if we could earn our way into heaven. If there was any other hope for the vilest of sinners, we wouldn't need a cross. So write this down, number one here. We, can, we can't outgood our bad. We can't outgood our bad. We can't prescribe ourselves this prescription of just doing better and trying harder and going to church enough or reading our Bible or putting enough money in the offering. God would like that, right? Or maybe I need to swear less or maybe I need to have patience with people that make me mad. 
And we hope, we hope that all of those good things that we do work our way onto God's good side. See, there is nothing that we can do. Nothing we can do will be good enough to get rid of your sin. Nothing. For a holy God to be reconciled with a sinful person, there has to be a way for us to cross that divide that we have created between us and God. Now, I admit it, it may sound like a horror film. We may not understand this, uh, uh, but nothing purifies sin except the blood of Jesus. Nothing. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. His blood was already dripping on that cross. His blood still flows to us today. It still covers our sins today. Forgiveness is the first thing that you and I need to approach that cross. And when we have accepted and applied the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, God doesn't see someone. He doesn't label us anymore by our sin. He sees his son. He sees his son's ransom. He sees the payment for our depravity. He sees someone who has been redeemed, who would never be able to repay back for all the sins that they have done. He sees someone who would never on their own be able to reach spiritual purity. See, during the time of the Old Testament, the the time before Jesus lived and then after for a while, there was this temple in Jerusalem that was dedicated to God. It was huge, it was magnificent, and it was beautiful, and it still was being used when Jesus was alive, and inside that temple was this place. It was kind of a smaller room, or, or in, inside the temple before that, there, this was a, a time where the people would come in, and they would bring animals into the temple, and the sacrifices were, were carried out, and They were paying the price for the sins of the people through these sacrifices. But they also believed that God lived at the temple. That smaller room inside is called the Holy of Holies. And it was the holiest place because that was seen as the earthly dwelling place of God himself. And in front of that holy of holies, this large curtain separated the people from the presence of God. No one except a priest once a year could go into that holy of holies. Only once a year was that one person permitted to go into the presence of God. And there he would make atonement. He would make sacrifices for Israel and all of their sin. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27 that at the moment when Jesus died, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, I don't know about you. I imagine that everybody here has curtains or something like that in your house. Um, We have curtains. They're just these sheer little things. This curtain was not lace. It was not sheer. It wasn't anything like that at all. This was a curtain, a thick curtain of blue, purple, and red linen. It stood about 60 
feet high and was four inches thick. Nobody would have had the physical strength to rip this thing in half. Yet when Jesus breathed his last, it tore in half from top to bottom. And that curtain that separated the people from God's presence was torn in two as Jesus was paying the price for our sins. So the system of sacrifice, of of giving this perfect lamb that was given for the forgiveness of sin was completed that day through the death of Jesus. And to this day, Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. But we don't have to approach God through a torn curtain. We approach God through the shredded whipped, bleeding body of our Savior that willingly allowed his flesh to be gouged by thorns and punctured by nails and pierced with a spear. If you're taking notes, write this down. because This is crucial or central to our faith. The only way that we can approach God today is through the cross. That's it. And we can do it with boldness and we, we can, not because we deserve it, but because we can know that it was Jesus, the only one who had the authority and the willingness not only to pay our price, but to forgive us in the process. So if you've never accepted that gift of, of what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you've never allowed yourself to follow the one that loves you enough that he died in your place, you can do that today. You can do that right here in the middle of the sermon. You can go to God and tell him, Father, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm not worthy to enter your holy presence because I admit that I am a sinful person. But thank you for cleansing me with your blood of your son on the cross. Thank you for accepting me because you no longer see my sin You see your son in me. You can pray something like that just to go to to the father and allow him to forgive you through the blood of his son. The Bible says that if you come to him with a sincere heart that God will forgive your sins and you can begin a brand new journey with Jesus. Now, in your journey with Jesus, there's going to be times where you mess up. There's going to be times when you fail. All of us have. You're in good company. But every time you mess up, you get the opportunity to walk right back up to that cross and hear those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. It seems like it's an excuse, doesn't it? It seems like an excuse for those that killed Jesus that day. It seems like an excuse maybe for us to get away with sin. Are we only offered forgiveness because we do things by mistake without our knowledge? No. That's not what Jesus meant by these words. He wasn't offering an excuse to sin because of ignorance. He was stating that just like those soldiers, just like the Jewish rulers that had him killed, we too have no way to fully understand the consequences of our sin. I want you to think about it. 
How many times have you done something you know you weren't supposed to do, but you did it anyway? How many times did you neglect to do something that you knew you should? See, we expect Jesus to tell the Father on behalf of those around him that day and for us today to say, Father, forgive them even though they knew. Father, forgive them even though they knew exactly what they were doing. And it's just that none of us, none of us, not the soldiers that day, not the Jewish rulers, had any idea of the consequences of our sin. No one sins with a full knowledge of the impact of that sin. We can't see into the future. We can't see the hurt, the betrayal, the despair, the suffering that sin causes. No one willingly sins while imagining the price that Jesus had to pay for it. Nobody does that. None of us will ever know, I hope, what it's like to have a nail driven through your wrists and your feet and being hung on a cross. There's an old... uh, spiritual song that says were you there when they crucified my lord were you there for those of you who know the song you can hear the words in your mind right now it took everything i could uh, in me not to sing those words but if i did i'd have to ask for your forgiveness today <laughs> were you there when they crucified my lord were you there and the answer for everyone in this room is yes Yes, you were, for it was all of our sins that crucified our Lord. Number three in your notes is there is nothing that we can do to earn God's forgiveness. We can only receive it. But this gift comes with a responsibility for us. We have to forgive others. Jesus told this story. It's found in Matthew chapter or. Uh, this verse in Matthew 6 14 and 15 he says if you forgive those who sin against you your heavenly father will forgive you but if you refuse to forgive others your father will not forgive your sins you see Jesus isn't saying that we need to earn our way into God's forgiveness that goes contrary to everything that we hear about in the New Testament One of my favorite preachers is Stephen Furtick. I listen to him a lot, and uh, he says this about forgiveness. If you don't give it, you don't got it. Because if you've got it, you'll give it. And he says that may not be good grammar, but it's really good theology. If you don't give it, you don't got it. Because if you've got it, you'll give it. Forgiven people forgive people. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, I'm just saying it's necessary. But Pastor Brian, you may be saying, you don't know what they did to me. No, I have no idea. There is no way for me to understand what their sin did to you. I I only know that I need to direct you where you need to go, which is to gain a heart of forgiveness. And those same words that Jesus spoke on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they did. Or 
How about, Father, forgive them because they do not understand the entirety of the pain that they caused me. Father, I forgive them because I know that I am a sinner as well. I forgive because who I am. I forgive because who would I be if I accepted your forgiveness but I was unwilling to offer it to someone else? One day Peter and his followers asked Jesus. Peter said, Lord, when somebody sins against me, how many times do I need to forgive them? And he, before Jesus could answer, he gave Jesus his own answer. Uh, he said, perhaps seven times. I think Peter was trying to earn maybe a little bit extra credit that day with, uh, with Jesus. He knew the number seven was a, a number that represented completion. It, it represented perfection. But Jesus surprised him and he said, no, Peter, not seven times. 77 times. Now, what Jesus wasn't saying is that if you get up to the 78th time that you're finally off the hook. He was telling Peter that this is the new system of forgiveness. No matter how many times you are wronged, no matter how many times somebody does something against you, no matter how many times somebody hurts you, I will give you the strength and I will give you the ability to take that offense and drop it right at the foot of the cross. And that only comes through Jesus. See, Jesus described this new system by telling this story. It's in your, it's in your notes. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors brought in who owed him millions of dollars. I want to pause there for just a moment. This, this is a modern translation that I'm reading from the Bible, and it, it actually kind of loses a little bit here for us. The original language said that this man owned the king 10,000 talents, and a talent represented 20 years of working wages. And so this is a debt that could never be repaid back to that king. For example, for us, if you were able to make $50,000 a year, that means that you had a debt of $10 billion. I don't know about you, but I'm not paying off that debt. Jesus was trying to represent, he was trying to tell people that this is the sin debt that he is going to have to pay for later. Verse 25. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. There's no way this man could pay back that debt. It's impossible. It was so far beyond his reach. He'd never, ever pay off that debt. Verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. See, when you asked Jesus to forgive you, this is exactly what happened for you. 
an enormous debt that you would never be able to pay back was wiped clean. And why would God forgive such a debt? Why would God do that? It seems wasteful. It seems frivolous to to forgive such a debt. There is no way any of us would ever compensate for that. So what happens to this man that was forgiven so much? Verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. This amount of debt was meant to represent the amount of forgiveness that you and I need to give each other. Things like being lied to, things like being cheated on, disrespected. All these sins hurt. All these sins are very, very real, but they're nothing compared to this mountain of debt that God paid for us. Let's read on verse 29. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, you Or I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Isn't it interesting that when we refuse to forgive, that we are the ones who are held captive? See, God's system of forgiveness is for you to forgive as the Lord has forgiven. Are you forgiving the same way you've received it? Freely, generously. Not because they deserve it, but because it's the right thing to do. So as Jesus was on that cross, Already bleeding and close to death, he looked down upon all of those who had just placed him there. And he said, Father, forgive them. Who would do that? When we're wronged, we want justice, don't we? When something is done to us, when we are sinned against, we want that wrong to be made right. We demand payment for that sin. Perhaps we think that Jesus should have just called a legion of of angels down from heaven to destroy all of those who caused his suffering. It seems like the right thing to do unless you're one of the soldiers with a hammer in his hand. If I'm that one, if I'm the one that's in the wrong, I don't want justice. All of a sudden, I want mercy. Mercy. Jesus wasn't just forgiving the soldier and the crowd. Jesus was forgiving you. All of us have put Jesus on the cross. Are you forgiving the same way you received it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice on a cross. 
the system of that sacrifice of, of taking an animal into the temple and spilling its blood for the forgiveness of sins is over. The perfect lamb has been sacrificed. And Jesus, you did it willingly for us. The cost of that cross is also something for us to keep in mind. Lord, as we have those who have done wrong to us and sinned against us. I'm sure, Lord, as I was speaking, there is maybe that person, yes, that person, that came up into your mind. Lord, you have already given them everything they need to forgive. Lord, may we release them of their debt so that we may be released. Lord Jesus, give them the power. Give them the grace that you have already given them to give that to those who hurt us. Help us to answer that question. Am I forgiving the same way I've received it. Lord, I pray today that today is a day where the captives are released and the captives are us. Lord, we thank you in this journey with the cross that we get to start out here in the very beginning talking about forgiveness. May today be a day where we not only have celebrated what you've done in the life of people in this church, but could today be a day we are finally free. Lord, help us to forgive in the same way we receive it. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us today. We thank you for your spirit's presence. We feel it. We know you're here. We thank you, Lord, for leading us out and for giving us the grace the power, and the ability to forgive. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of us say together, amen.